Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, we have Mr. Jason Reed, UK lead for Young Voices. Uh, we're gonna talk about public health, he's the public health policy commentator. Uh, we're gonna chop it up around government regulations. Are we becoming a nanny state? Uh, Jason, good day, welcome. Thank you very much, it's great to be here with you. Absolutely, I don't want to uh, presume what you know or believe about government regulation as it relates to consumerism. So I want you to explain to us, uh, give us your sentiment. My perspective is that uh, we're seeing a worrying growth of the nanny state around the world around issues like uh, obesity and tobacco, where more and more governments are thinking that it's their job to solve those kinds of issues. And they are implementing policies like taxes and like new regulations and advertising restrictions and that kind of thing, um, which I don't think work. I think they have adverse effects. And even if they did work, I don't think it's the government's job to be policing people's lifestyles in that way. I think it's really interesting because 84% of Americans actually agree with common sense advertising to show how certain products will adversely affect the population. So the majority of Americans are okay with it. And those are the ones who actually pay the tax revenue to the government that creates the ad campaign in the first place. Second, when you look at things such as restrictions on advertisement, those restrictions, many of those restrictions, especially as it relates to tobacco or cigarettes, was because of the insane and egregious use of their advertisement dollars to intentionally market to children who could not legally purchase their products. Well, the courts determined that it was egregious. Statutorily, we said it was egregious in congressional committees. And that's the why or that's the reason behind some of those restrictive policies. Do you disagree with those policies? I think that there are certain restrictions which are which do make sense. For example, it should not be legal to sell cigarettes to children or to advertise cigarettes to children. But I think what we're seeing is mission creep, where it's one thing we can agree, for example, that you shouldn't be advertising cigarettes to children. But then it seems to be a very small step for the public health lobby to then say, okay, now we're also going to crack down on the advertising of unhealthy foods to children. It's a very slippery slope. And those kinds of policies, they simply don't work. There was a good example recently in my home country in the UK, where the government is introducing a junk food advertising ban, effectively banning 
um, what it, the adverts for what it deems to be unhealthy foods online. And the government's own research into its policy estimates that it will remove on average about 1.7 calories from children's diets per day. In other words, almost nothing at all. Uh, and that's because this kind of policy simply doesn't work. You can't centralize people's, people's lifestyle decisions uh, in one place, which is what the government's trying to do. And even on an issue like smoking, there are other things that the government should be doing rather than trying to crack down on uh, people smoking, um, such as educating them about ways that they can quit smoking. If you look at the polling numbers among smokers who want to quit, the number of them who are even aware that something like electronic cigarettes can be used and are healthier, much healthier than traditional smoking, those numbers are very, very low because we see so much misinformation, both from national governments and from the World Health Organization about something like vaping, that people don't even know that it's healthier than smoking. What we should be doing, if what we want to do is help people quit smoking who want to quit, which I think we can agree is a worthwhile aim, we should be giving them the education, the information, the resources that they need, rather than restricting people's civil liberties. Jason, I must point out that you have extreme hypocrisy in your point of view, and let me highlight it to you, okay? You are in favor of the government utilizing taxpayer dollars in order to help individuals stop smoking. But you're not for those taxpayer dollars to decrease the number of smokers you have in the first place. So according to your logic, you are okay with the revenue design of the American taxation system to go toward telling people how to stop or quit smoking, but you're not okay with them utilizing that same taxation in order to tell people the harmful impact that smoking can bring, that's number one. Number two, when you say that these programs or advertisement campaigns are not effective, that is untrue. The National Youth Tobacco Survey, you can look it up. They show a 1.73 million to 2.2 million decrease in youth smoking after these ads started running about the truth of cigarette addiction and how it impacts your health adversely. So factually, you are incorrect that these campaigns have no impact. Ask the two million young people who have not engaged in smoking based on this advertisement campaign compared to when we did not have the advertisement campaign in the first place. So I don't understand how your logic is working here, brother. I don't get it because you're okay with spending money to tell people how to quit smoking, but you're not okay with telling people in the beginning of that before they start smoking, here's the harmful impact it can bring to you. Um, well, to address your first point, I don't have any issue at all with the government giving people information, giving them resources, giving them education. And so if all the government is doing, and that is, this addresses your second point as well, in fact, if all the government is doing is giving people more information about, for example, the dangers of smoking, I think that's great. Okay. What I don't like is when they then crack down on the other side of the equation, and they say, for example, let's also crack down on vaping, which actually helps a lot of people quit smoking, or we're going to crack down on food companies. When you say crack down, explain products. that. When you say crack down on vaping, explain what that means. Unpack that for us. 
I think it's the view of the public health lobby around the world uh, with the World Health Organization behind it that vaping and electronic cigarettes need to be eradicated, that they are a stain on society. And they say as much themselves, this isn't a conspiracy theory. Uh, and so they do everything within their power to lobby governments around the world to introduce all kinds of restrictions to stop people finding out about vaping to begin with by having all these advertising restrictions, by taxing it, by taxing it so that it becomes unsustainable economically for people to vape, and by doing all these things to make it more difficult to cut off people's access. That's what I mean by cracking all down. Right. And this is the same kind of thing that happens with, with unhealthy foods as well. Well, once again, you're back to the premise of the cigarette and tobacco debate because the issue that public health advocates have a relationship to electronic cigarettes or e-cigarettes is the fact that they were able to advertise to a youth friendly audience or a youth audience. And they're saying, no, you can't make the same mistake with e-cigarettes that you made with the traditional cigarette. So that's one. On the second part is advocacy. These are lobbying groups. You know, lobbying groups, they are there to present a point of view, right? And this is a public policy lobbying group that you're talking about or a coalition of them. Well, you know who has a lobbying group also? The cigarette companies. They have significant lobbying groups that are paid way more than those cats that work for the public health side, okay? And they're lobbying for their agenda. You gotta have a balance here, brother. You cannot have the tobacco industry have all of the high paid lobbyists and able to grease the palms of all the politicians without a rebuttal to that. That's not how democracy should work. These public health advocates are necessary in the ecosystem of the political narrative in order to present a contrary point of view so that the push and pull and entanglement of the political conversation remains in play. Do you not agree with that? I think there is indeed an imbalance in this discourse, but I think it's the exact opposite hmm. of the way you describe it. The people with all the power are the regulators because they aren't held accountable for their actions. They can pass these laws which, for example, increase tobacco taxes, advertising restrictions, and we can't really do anything about it. When the World Health Organization prints all this blatant misinformation about vaping, there's nothing we can do. We can't vote them out. There will always be a constituent of of people within the population who do things that are unhealthy, that the government or any kind of centralized government agency, whether that's the World Health Organization or a national agency, thinks it shouldn't be doing. People lead different lifestyles. Some people make unhealthy choices. Some people, for instance, don't want to quit smoking, even when they know how unhealthy it is. I don't think it's the business of any regulator to then be interfering in their lives and saying, no, we disapprove of your lifestyle, so we are now going to close in on it, crack down on it in order to force you to stop, whether that's through higher and higher taxes or more and more restrictions on on the sales of cigarettes. If you take the case study of Australia, Australia is like many countries around the world, it saw an organic decrease in smoking as more and more people turn away from smoking. And then the government came in and introduced all kinds of new nanny state rules with some of the highest tobacco taxes in the world and some of the highest, the harshest sales restrictions and advertising restrictions in the world. And that decrease that they were seeing in the number of smokers, it plateaued, it stalled. Because these kinds of regulations just don't work. There are countless examples of the government stepping in 
to do something that it thinks is good for public health and people finding a way around it. To take another example from the UK, which is something that also has been proposed by countless US politicians and around the world as well. We have a tax in this country on sugary drinks, on sodas, which has been in place for a few years. So we have some data on it. And the impact on sugar consumption has been very, very small indeed. The reason for that is that when people are confronted with the fact that their sugary drink of choice costs more than it did last week, they do one of three things. Either they just fork out and pay the extra money, or they switch to other high calorie, high sugar alternatives like fruit juices, or they switch to own brand alternatives which are just as sugary, but are cheaper. So they offset the price differences. People will always find a way around these rules because people want to live their lives the way they want to. So the rules don't work. Yeah, it's really interesting, man, because you keep saying the rules don't work. And and this is a fascinating conversation because I am a live and let live kind of guy. Now, as far as taxes on certain products, well, that's normative. Uh, in government society. And let's be very clear, Republicans and Democrats do this, okay? This is not a left um, and right argument as far as one does it, the other one does not. Both of them do it. And when you aggregate the amount of um, revenue uh, states generate that do have what we call a sin tax, that's kind of the terminology, uh, they have an increased revenue of, of about 3.8%. That's not a drop in the bucket, that's significant money when you look at it holistically, right? Let me go back to Australia, all right? Because Australia, one, they don't keep this data ongoing. So the best data we have is this, Australia, you know, they had a adult smoking rate of 12.8%. Well, that was taken back in 2016. It's dropped to about 11.6%, all right? So it's barely a 1% drop. So you don't have some kind of significant drop in their ratio. My issue with this conversation is this, brother. And I get where you're coming from, right? More taxation. More laws, more regulation, but you got to look at it. 100% of the issue with advertisement is advertisement that caters to young children. That's the issue with the advertisement. You and I should agree, you cannot create an advertisement platform that intentionally seeks to hook individuals on these particular substances such as tobacco who cannot even purchase them legally or even alcohol who cannot purchase them legally. Do we at least agree on that premise? That's a common sense. Um, policy restriction, right? That's good regulation. We can agree in theory, of course, but I think it's very, very hard to implement something like that. For example, you see a lot of people um, getting very upset about uh, vaping companies using flavors like gummy bears, which they allege are targeted at children. I'm not a child and I love gummy bears. I find that a very attractive advert. Indeed, it's very hard to draw that line between what's for children and what's for adults. And so we can agree in principle, of course, that we shouldn't be encouraging children to smoke and anything that does is bad. But it's not that simple when it comes to policy. And what we're seeing over and over again is the regulators erring on the side of more intervention, of more policing of people's lifestyles, and that more often than not affects adults in an adverse way as well. Well, it's called public policy, that's what it's called. So let me ask you about some other public policy that we all engage in on a regular basis. Do you agree with wearing clothes? Of course. You weren't born with them. But it's my choice. If I no. wanted to join a nudist colony, I don't think it would be the government's business to stop me from doing Well, that. I'm glad you said that because it is your choice if you decided to join an area where that was an option without criminal prosecution, which also says there are areas that have no sin tax. 
There are areas that do not charge an additional taxation for a pack of cigarettes. As a matter of fact, there are some jurisdictions who will not allow the sale of those particular items if that additional tax is affixed based on their policy platform. So you can move to one of those states, you can move to one of those cities, right? There is always going to be a trade off between liberty and public health. But I think that something like a lifestyle choice, like what you smoke or what you eat is so fundamental that you shouldn't have to move out of an area. Well, you don't just think to wearing clothes is a lifestyle choice? Of course, but this is something where we're seeing more, as I said at the start of this debate, we're seeing an exponential increase in the amount of intervention in this area and it just won't stop. If we continue to allow the government to police our lifestyles in this way, I don't know where it ends. We're going to end up in some dystopian future where we're all miserable and eating gray sludge. Because oh, come on, man. Oh, man, you're being <laughs> melodramatic, brother. You know that you know what you're really talking about. You're talking about eight pennies. You know that the debate that you're having with me today is over eight pennies. That is the average of the increase taxes for what's called the sin tax, eight cents. But those small amounts of money, they add up very quickly. And it, <laughs> I'm glad that you brought that up actually, because um, I think another disadvantage of especially sin taxes is that they penalize the poor much harder than anyone else. When you're taxing something as fundamental as sugar, for example, you are you are making the poor poorer. If you're Jeff Bezos, you don't care if a chocolate bar costs more, costs a few pence more. But if you're trying to feed a family of four on a small salary, those kinds of costs, they really add up. And that's not something the government should be doing, making people's lives harder, making their shopping bills more expensive. So your issue is a grocery issue or is it a um, lifestyle issue that's really something that people voluntarily engage in like smoking or drinking alcohol. Which one is it? What, what's the premise of the argument? It's both, I have issues with both of those things. The okay. government should not be interfering in people's lives on principle in that way because they have the right to choose what they want to do. And there are other adverse effects of the kind of policies they favor, such as making the poor poorer through syntaxes. The Constitution gives very clear direction that governments have the power of taxation. Do you disagree with the constitutional directive? I disagree with the government making people's lives harder. I think we can all agree that making the poor poorer is not something we should be doing. Let me now ask you this then, I got three minutes left. Go ahead. I gave you the statistic from the National Youth Survey. Okay, that showed you have 2 million less young people, less children smoking cigarettes today than you had before. And this number actually is around 2 million on average every year. So it's not just 2 million total, it's much more than that. So you've had a significant decline in youth smokers after the cigarette companies were restricted on how they advertised. You see a drop immediately. That's called good public policy. Do you not agree that that's good public policy? Wearing clothes, good public policy. Having a license before you can drive, good public policy. These are common sense public policy things that are restrictive in nature and are regulatory, but it works for the betterment of the nation. Yes or no? There's a big difference between correlation and causation. You're right absolutely that the number of smokers is decreasing. There are a number of reasons for that. I think vaping is a big part of that because vaping, vaping wasn't around during the onslaught of the survey I just talked about, wasn't a thing. 
Well, okay, in terms of the present and the future, then vaping is gonna be the most effective tool for helping people quit okay. smoking. Jason, just say, man, you want vaping to be free, brother. Just go ahead and say it. I feel <laughs> like that's where we're going right now. Do you want it to be no cost, no taxes? What do you want? Vaping is, there's no disagreement in the science that it's healthier than smoking. It's okay. the most effective tool for helping people quit smoking that's ever been discovered. And so if it was temporarily tax free, uh, to help those last few people who want to quit smoking to be able to do so, I think that wouldn't be such a bad. All thing. right, we got it out of you, Jason. That was the real motive here. Jason Reed is for a tax-free e-cigarette world. There you go, Jason. I appreciate you, brother. Thank you for being on the show, man. Thank you very much.